you're listening to Testimonies of Truth. On this episode, we interview James Cooper, who is a Christmas expert. James talks about the origins of the Christmas tree, how carols started, how Christmas is celebrated in other parts of the world like Japan, who the real Santa Claus was, plus more. Um, well, thank you a heap for coming on the podcast. Just to kick us off, can you tell us, I guess, uh, when, when you first became interested in Christmas and what inspired you to want to learn more, I guess, and become a, a Christmas expert? Right, okay. Well, I almost became a Christmas expert by accident, really. Uh, it was back in 2000. I was, my uh, day job is a web designer and developer. I was just starting to get into it back then. It was sort of the infancy of the web. Um, uh, my dad was the chairman of governors. That's like a PTA, a primary elementary school over here in North London. And some of the teachers came to me and said, James, why can't we find a site about Christmas that isn't trying to sell the kids something? Because back then it was the early days of the web. So any kids sites were by the likes of Disney. So they might have had some information about Christmas on there, but they were really trying to sell their wares primarily. Um, I grew up in a Christian family. I was a Christian. I'd always loved Christmas. I was a big kid. I thought it would be interesting to learn a bit more about Christmas. So I made a little site for a single school. And then over the years, I've learned more. I've added to it. It grew and grew and grew and grew. And now it takes up most of my December. James, can you tell us about Christmas from a Christian perspective and how should we look at that in light of the Bible? Okay, yeah, I, um, Christmas is in the Bible. I get emails every year from Christians saying that, um, you know, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it's not in the Bible. Well, it clearly is because the Christmas story is told in Matthew and Luke. You know, they're quite explicit about having the birth story of Jesus. So it was clearly a very important event. Um, so, yeah, to me, it's the breakthrough of God coming to earth as he had promised from long ago. It's the fulfillment of one of his big prophecies. And, of course, in Advent, we celebrate, we look forward to Christmas, the coming of Christmas, the coming of Jesus, but also his coming again, which, you know, is something to look forward to. And what, what do you think is the most important thing to know about Christmas for, I guess, someone who might not have learned much about it or they might be um, a bit unsure about, you know, why people celebrate Christmas? What, what would you say is the most important thing for them to, to realise? Yeah, I, a, lot of, a lot of the time nowadays people, you know, you say Christmas and they'll associate it with things like trees and Santa, but not necessarily Jesus. So I think getting back to the Christ bit of Christmas and actually explaining where the word comes from, you know, it was the mass of Christ. It was the service and the time of year when people remembered and celebrated the birth of Jesus. So, I mean, on my site, I've got information about, you know, how Santa came to be from St. Nicholas, why we have trees, why we send cards, all of those sort of traditions that we now associate with Christmas. But also the story is front and centre just to help people understand where Christmas comes from. James, why do you think that Christmas appeals to people of all different faiths and cultures around the world? Well, I mean, traditionally, 
here in the northern hemisphere, um, it's dark and miserable at this time of the year. So, you know, the lights, the festivities, the coming together, although not quite the same as we would normally do this year, um, is something to look forward to and bringing people together in times of darkness with you. It's nice and hot and sunny, so it's also a nice time to bring people together, you know, when the weather's a bit better than we have up here. Um, but I, it's all the traditions and the historical times that have come together is the time of people wanting to be with each other and celebrating things for lots of different reasons, whether they're celebrating it in a religious way or whether they're just celebrating it as a time to be with family and friends. Um, so, uh, James, what, what are some of the different ways that Christmas is celebrated around the world and is there a country that you find particularly interesting about the way they celebrate Christmas? Yeah, and Japan's a really good example because it has all the trappings of a Western non-religious Christmas because it doesn't have the tradition of Christianity in Japan. Um, its influence of Christmas really came mostly... They had a few missionaries pre-First World War and pre-Second World War, but most of their influence came post-Second World War through commercialism. So in Japan, it's not a public holiday. Um, everybody will go to work normally on the 25th of December. Oh, really? Um, but it's okay. more like their Valentine's Day. Right. Um, they see it as more of a romantic time when couples will go um, walking around in the evenings looking at all the twinkly Christmas lights with Santa hats on. Um, and the traditional Japanese Christmas dinner is KFC. <laughs> do you know? Do you know why um, the traditional dinner is KFC, James, or, or yeah, you know, how in, that? In the seventies, um, KFC were in Japan, and they wanted to sell some more food, so they ran a very successful marketing campaign called Kentucky for Christmas, <laughs> um, which almost sounds, I think, in J in Japanese, it almost sounds like good luck. So it was then associated um, with Christmas in Japan, and it's just stuck, and you don't have to pre-book your bucket for Christmas Day. James, what Christmas traditions or customs do you, you find most fascinating? And can you tell us about the, um, the history and meaning of any of these traditions? Okay, I mean, everybody has a tree, well, most people have a tree, and it is a bit strange to bring a half-dead tree or into your house or put up a plastic one in your house. It seems to date back to the Middle Ages and it might have come from a couple of sources. Uh, in, the, in the UK and Germany and other countries in medieval times, uh, most people couldn't read and write and so you had um, mystery plays that were put on during Advent and during Lent as well when people would act out the stories of the Bible for people. And you had things called paradise trees which represented the uh, Garden of Eden. And they were basically sort of planks nailed together with things hung on them. And some of the things in the winter, especially because people had them, were apples. So um, for, to represent the uh, Garden of Eden as well. So it, they could have come from that source. Uh, we have in Estonia, in Latvia, in the late 1400s, early 1500s, uh, there are documents of people putting up trees in town squares, but we're not sure if they were like real trees or whether they were more like sort of maypoles. But again, it was a festive thing. The first recorded trees in houses were in Germany in the 1600s. And again, they were decorated with things like apples and gingerbread um, and other things like that. 
the story goes that Martin Luther was walking through the Germanic woods and saw the uh, stars twinkling through the forest trees and thought, well, that reminded him of Jesus coming down from heavens to the earth. So it was his idea, supposedly, to bring a tree in and put candles on it to represent the stars. And of course, the apples, when we got glass blowing, uh, the red round apple turned into our round traditional bauble. So that's why baubles on trees oh. are round, because they represent apples. So yeah, uh, the custom of trees uh, was in Europe in the 16 and 1700s. The first record of a tree in the UK, which then influenced the rest of the world, uh, was in 1800. Um, the German wife of King George III put a tree up in Winter Castle for a children's party. It's thought that one of the children at one of the first parties with the tree was the young Queen Victoria. Of course, she married the Germanic Prince Albert. They had trees at Windsor Castle. There was a famous drawing of a tree in 1841, the royal tree. Then that was published in newspapers. People thought, well, if the royals got a tree, we've got to have a tree because we've got to be fashionable. And so then trees went through the UK. It was then pr printed in America. They became fashionable over there. And it spread around the world. How did Christmas carols first originate? And do you think there is something, I guess, special about carols that inspire people to want to listen to them again and again each year? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something sort of the familiar. If you, I, I guess it's also one of those things where you grow up with them. I mean, I grew up with carols, so I love carols. But again, lots of people carols are a bit of an oddity they've grown up with christmas hits from you know mariah carey and people like that rather than what we think of as christmas carols so they want to listen to those familiar things from their childhood it's about people making their own tradition and and where they draw their comfort and their celebrations from i mean carols have been around for a very long time the, car the word carol just means to dance and they were originally folk tunes that people danced to it's thought that, you know, you used to have Easter carols and harvest carols. They weren't just Christmas, which is really interesting. And they probably go back um, to, like, the midwinter festivals that we had here at this time of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, when people would get together and have a bit of a party because it was a bit grim outside and they wanted to cheer themselves up. Um, but they developed through the Middle Ages. It's thought that St Francis of Assisi might have actually been the first person to have carols as we would think of them today because in 1223 him and some of his fellow monks put on the story of the Christmas uh, story up in the hills around their monastery and actually used live animals so and they sung some Christmas songs in a language that people could understand because of course most of the early church was done in Latin which only people who had learnt Latin would understand so it was meaningless hmm. for most people but St. Francis of Assisi realised that if he wanted to spread the gospel, he needed to get it in a way that people could understand, which is kind of fairly fundamental. Um, so he might have invented the nativity scene, the nativity play, and Christmas carols in one foul swoop, which is quite an achievement. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that, that is quite an achievement. Um, so James, what, what are some of your personal favourite uh, Christmas carols? Uh, one of my favourites is In the Bleak Midwinter, um, which is a Victorian carol written by... Chris's Christina Rossetti, and then uh, the tune is normally the one done by Gustav Holst. Um, a lot of the carols that we have today uh, were sort of invented, for want of a better term, in the Victorian period. Uh, in the early Victorian period, a couple of 
um, people went around the country and collected folk tunes. Um, and that's where the carols really came from. In the UK and across Europe, they were folk tunes that were sort of recycled into church worship. One of the earliest and another of my favourite carols is While Shepherds Watched Their Flocks. And that survived from the Middle Ages through the Reformation into the post-Reformation and Victorian periods because it's basically words straight out of the Bible. And during the Reformation and when the Puritans tried to ban Christmas in the UK, they didn't like it because they saw it as too frivolous. Back in the 1640s, they thought Christmas was true, too frivolous. They hate to think what they think of it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but because While Shepherds Watch is basically the story taken straight out of the Bible, um, they allowed people to sing that as a hymn, as quite a solemn hymn, not as a carol, because it was purely biblical. And it's also one of the carols that's got the most tunes because it's a what's called a common meter. So there are lots of different tunes that fit to it. Um, same is true with O Little Town of Bethlehem. Um, so certainly in the UK, you can sing loads and loads of different tunes to it. And there's one in a, the village, I live in the southwest of England. Um, there's a village uh, called Roadboard, which is about 50 miles down the road from me. And that is the name of a tune that is sometimes sung to Welsh Shepherds Watch. So it's um, that, that connection really comes through on that. So yeah, I've got... Trying to choose a favourite carol for me is like trying to choose um, what's my favourite type of chocolate. You know, it's a really tricky one because I love them all for it. (laughs) You're listening to Testimonies of Truth. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter to stay connected or send us an email at testimoniesoftruth.content at gmail.com. Also, check out our website, which is testimoniesoftruth.podbean.com, where you can listen to other episodes and find out more about the show. James, as technology advances with the coming generations, do you think that it will have an impact on the way that, I guess, generations to come come to observe and celebrate Christmas as a tradition? That is a really fascinating question. And this year might be the year that has really changed things. Um, Because certainly churches haven't been able to have things like carol services, uh, you know, in their traditional way. People have been meeting on Zoom like we are now, um, and on Facebook and on other various streaming platforms to get together and have carols. And also if people won't be able to meet together as family groups so much this year as well um you know you'll have video conferencing on christmas day Uh, going to the shops might not be such a thing because people are used to having home shopping now so yeah i think this year could potentially change the way that christmas is done and i think we need to come up with different ways of doing things and getting the message of jesus out there i mean one of the things Mm. i knew on my christmas site this year is that back last Boxing Day, I actually had the idea for it, was an online carol service. Little did I know, back in (laughs) Boxing Day last year, how potentially useful that could be. And I've had emails from churches all over the world saying that they're going to use my simple 35-minute carol service streamed over their Zoom or their YouTube or their Facebook or whatever because it saved them the work of doing it. They can just project it and hit go. And it means that people can have a carol service whenever they want. So I think there will be different ways of possibly consuming Christmas and we need to 
cater for that and to make sure that the message of Jesus isn't lost mm. in the change of different technologies. What would you say to Christians that regard Christmas as a pagan holiday and refuse to celebrate it? I would say that it's a shame. Um, I can, to an extent, I can see where they're coming from, but a lot of the time they're actually misunderstanding the situation. Um, a lot of people will say that December the 25th was chosen because it was a celebration of various pagan gods' birthdays. That was basically invented in the late Victorian period by a guy called um, Reverend Hislop. He was a Scottish minister who was vehemently anti-Catholic, and he saw Christmas as being a Catholic perversion of Christianity. <laughs> And so he wrote a book called The Two Babylons, where he basically tried to prove that anything to do with Catholicism was absolutely terrible. And he used some archaeology at the time that was coming out of Babylon to try and prove that most of Catholicism had come from various worship of Babylonian deities. The problem is that he got basically everything wrong in this book. There's no historical evidence for any of the claims that he makes in this whatsoever. He was either putting two and two together and getting about 17, or just frequently making stuff up. And so he put together this December the 25th was the verse, was the birthday of Tammuz, this um, Babylonian god. Only there's no records in any Babylonian architecture or literature whatsoever that says that Tammuz even has a birthday. <laughs> so... Um, the, the dating of December the 25th is a really interesting one. Yes, there were pre-existing winter uh, solstice festival celebrations that the Romans had and elsewhere in Northern Europe at this time. But also, very early on, the early church was celebrating the death of Jesus on March the 25th. Uh, that's when they thought that some of the earliest Easter's were celebrated. And they also thought that people, prophets like Jesus only died on the day of the 25th but you died on the day that you had been conceived so they also started celebrating the annunciation on march the 25th which is still the celebration of the annunciation now and if you had nine months to march the 25th you get december the 25th and that's back in the in the first 200s of the early christians so december the 25th yes it has some pagan connections but actually, a lot of the dating of Christmas goes back to the very, very early church. So it was, they didn't celebrate it in quite the way that we do, but they recognised the birth of Jesus on December the 25th from a very early date. Although Jesus was probably born more likely mid to late September, early October. James, as you referenced before, obviously, we know that Jesus wasn't likely born at all whatsoever in December. Why is it that you think, despite all of the evidence, that Christians still insist on commemorating Jesus' birth in a month that he wasn't even born in? I think there's a word called tradition <laughs> that does a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, yeah. It's been going around for nearly 1,800 years, and that's a lot of tradition to try and change now. Um, I think... It's important to be honest with people and say, yes, we don't think Jesus was born now, um, but that still doesn't mean that we can't celebrate that he was born. 
you know, we can also have another party in September. Why not? To celebrate when Jesus <laughs> might well have been born at the Feast of Tabernacles. That sounds good to me. Um, so, James, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, original Santa Claus? Yes. Okay. So, Santa started as St. Nicholas. He was a bishop in 4th century Myra, which is now part of southwest Turkey. He was a rich man. It's thought that he was an orphan that had come from quite a rich family. He went into the church. He was known for being very generous and kind to people. Um, the story of him being a gift giver is a legend that uh, there was a family in the village that he lived in that had three daughters um, and they were very poor. They couldn't afford dowries for their daughters. So it's thought that the daughters might have had to go into prostitution because they couldn't afford to get married. So when the first daughter came of age, St Nicholas is supposedly meant to have either dropped some money down the chimney or through a window and it fell either, either into a stocking or the shoe, um, which is where we get our stockings and children in uh, places like the Netherlands and Belgium and parts of Germany and France on St Nicholas Eve, which is the 5th of December, will leave their shoes out to have little gifts put in them rather than stockings. And mm. um, so that's where that comes from. Um, in the second, when the second daughter came, he did the same. When the third daughter came of age, um, the father was getting a bit interested at this point. So he stayed up every night and caught St. Nicholas doing it. And then his fame spread around the world. St. Nicholas was definitely a real person. Um, he was at the Council of Nicaea, uh, which sort of cemented lots of the fundamentals of the Christian belief. It's even thought that he punched a heretic at that <laughs> meeting. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he was definitely an all-action person who really got involved in people's lives. He was known as just being very generous and kind. His fame spread throughout Europe in the early Middle Ages. His name was St. Nicholas. In the uh, Low Countries, it became Sinterklaas. When people from the Netherlands and Germany went over to America, Sinterklaas got changed into Santa Claus. Right. So that's where that comes from. And, of course, his red outfit originally was the red robes of a bishop. Um, people will say that Coke invented Santa in his red outfit. That's very wrong, and Coke actually say themselves, no, we didn't. Um, Coke started using Santa in their ads from 1930. They really cemented him in red and white from then. Um, but during the Victorian period where coloured printing came out, he's, he's sometimes in red, he's sometimes in blue, he's sometimes in white, green, brown, lots of different colours. But red was always his fundamental colour, and it's what we have now. Um, you get different gift bringers around the world as well, which is interesting. Um, many Catholic countries uh, have their main presence on Epiphany, the 6th of January, and those presents are bought by the three wise men. In some parts of um, Germany and Austria uh, and other Central European countries that were very affected by the Reformation, when the veneration of, of, of saints was frowned upon, so St Nicholas being a saint wasn't popular as the gift bringer, it's thought again that Martin Luther invented the Christkindle, which was the Christ child that then became the gift bringer. And then Chris, Kring, Chris, the Christkindle again, went over to the States and became Chris Kringle, which is, of course is the other name that's sometimes associated with Santa. So it's really, really interesting how all the names developed from a 4th century bishop um, to Santa who we have today. 
James, certain Christian teachers, especially I would say in the last few years, have tried to make the argument that various elements of Christmas, when it comes to like you know materialism, commercialism, Santa Claus, and most notably um, the Christmas tree, have tried to argue that those things are an idol. And especially when it comes to the Christmas tree, they've tried to use, I believe it's Jeremiah, if I've got the scripture here, sorry, Peter, I've just lost it. That's Jeremiah okay. 10 verses 1 to 5. What would you say to claims where people try to use um, biblical scripture to argue that a Christmas tree is ultimately evil? Right, yep. I get those emails every year as well. Um, <laughs> the verse in um, Jeremiah uh, specifically relates to chopping down trees, carving them, painting them, and turning them into idols. It is specifically not about worshipping trees as a tree. Yes, it is odd um, bringing trees into your house, but if you actually understand where it came from, it was probably a Christian who started it. Um, I actually have a nativity. So everything on my Christmas tree, all the decorations on my Christmas tree, are to do with the Christmas story. I've got, um, the, I've got um, little scenes, I've got stars, uh, the wise men, little fluffy sheep, a fluffy donkey, you know, although the donkey's not technically in the Bible, but, you know. Um, so that's a way that I have a way of celebrating, uh, using a tree to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I've often heard this argument, and it's, I don't know if it's actually true, or whether it's just a really strange coincidence, but apparently when you rearrange the letter of Santa, you get um, Satan, and people have tried to link Satan and Santa together. Do you know where that claim comes from? Um, yeah, people just not understanding that Santa is also Saint in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's as simple that as that. It's basically an anagram that people don't understand, and it's a it's an easy thing to just point a finger and go, oh, look, it says this. Um, it's as simple as that. Um. <clears throat> So James, uh, it looks like the the questions that we wanted to ask you for the podcast, but before we finish up, is there anything else that you'd like to say or comment on? Um, I don't think so. Really, if you and your listeners would like to know anything more about Christmas, um, please visit my site at whychristmas.com. Um, it's got lots of information on there. That brings us to an end of this episode of Testimonies of Truth. Remember to follow us on Facebook or Twitter to stay connected, or send us an email at testimoniesoftruth.content at gmail.com. Also, check out our website, which is testimoniesoftruth.podbean.com, where you can listen to other episodes and find out more about the show. 